0: do over this week and next week um, is we're going to look at a guy called um, elijah uh, we're just going to do like a two-week thing on elijah um, and just look at him he was he was what we call a prophet um, essentially prophets heard from god um, and then they spoke what god had given them to people they communicated that to the people and so essentially they stood on stood in front of the people on behalf of god and they represented god to the people and um, when when god would speak um, and so we're going to do that this week and next week. Now the thing about Elijah is he had, he had words that were given to him that he lived with for years. And that's a part of the reason we're looking at this is because uh, we as a church have got promises that God's given us and things that he's spoken to us that we're living with and have been living with for years. Um, so I'm going to pray uh, and then we're going to make a start. Lord, we thank you that you are here by your Holy Spirit. Lord, we thank you that your word is living and active. And Lord, we pray it would... Uh, Lord, just be living and active in our hearts and our minds this afternoon. Lord, we just pray that you would uh, be piercing to us to the heart. Lord, we pray that you would give us ears to hear what you're saying, Lord, and we pray that you would give us soft, malleable hearts, Lord, that are moldable to you, Lord, that you could uh, come and shape us for your glory, Lord, for your great name, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Okay. I wonder if you've ever been in a conversation and you you feel like you've only got half the conversation or maybe you've been on the telephone or something and you can kind of hear half of what's going on, um, but you just miss some of the detail along the way. Um, Well, that's kind of what this afternoon is going to be a little bit like because essentially what we're doing is we're jumping into a couple of chapters. And so essentially we're missing um, some of the bigger picture. So I'm going to try and give us a bit of an idea of how we've arrived um, at this point where Elijah comes in um, to the story. Um, So we're going to be looking at 1 Kings, uh, chapters 17 and 18. um, And uh, if you want to turn to that in your Bibles, the words will come up behind me. Um, I'm not going to read for it for a few minutes um, because I'm just going to give you some of the backstory um, to how we've arrived here. So at this point... Um, we essentially have a snapshot in the history of God's people. Um, so, so basically, God, uh, centuries ago, called a guy called Abraham, um, and he said, you and your descendants are going to worship me. Um, he said, you will be my people, and I will be your God. Um, God gave them, uh, his people, Abraham's descendants, um, a law. He said, if you, if you follow this, this is, how, this is how I want you to live, this is how I want you um, to conduct yourselves. Um, And it was to be an example um, that by keeping the Lord, they were to demonstrate something of God's holiness and his perfection um, to all the nations that were around them. Um, And they were to be an example that other nations would then come and worship God along with um, his people, Abraham's descendants. Um, However, what we often see is the people of God tend to turn away and tend to get fixated with other things. Um, they weren't a great example to the nations. Um, and one regard to this was their kings. Um, it, essentially, they weren't ever meant to have a king. Um, basically, what, what happened was they started to look around at the other nations, and God said, No, keep your eyes on me because I'm going to be your king. I'm going to be the one that is uh, in charge. You look to me. Um, but actually, what they started to do was look at other nations and thought, Actually, unless we have like a ruling monarch, we don't really feel like a proper nation. Um, and so at that point, so God uh, allowed them um, to choose a kid. Um, so they chose a guy. Uh, they chose a guy called Saul. Um, on paper, he was a pretty impressive guy. Um, he had right credentials. He looked the part. He did the stuff. Um, but actually, when it came to the crunch, he, wasn't, he didn't really cut it. Um, he wasn't really... Um, there, there wasn't much depth to him, really. Um, he was a bit impatient. He didn't really trust God. He tended to take things into his own hands. Um, and, and he was just a bit... Um, he wasn't all that a king was meant to be, um, and so as a result, God had had enough, um, and, and he basically said to God's peop- his people, okay, you, you've had your choice, but you picked a pretty bum choice, um, so I'm going to pick now, and he chooses a guy called David. Um, now, David was a great guy. He was a humble guy. Um, he was God-fearing. Um, he was faithful, um, and he trusted God. Um, Yes, he made his mistakes, and they're all recorded in the Bible, and you can read all about them. Um, And yet, at the same time, he's humble enough to come and ask for forgiveness and to reconcile with God. Um, If you like, David, at this point, is is kind of like the golden age of Israel. Um, He's kind of the the, the king. He was the king that brought uh, what they call the Ark of the Covenant, which represented the presence of God, into Jerusalem. Um, and so he, in bringing the ark in, it's almost as if God had come to reside with his people in a new way that was unlike anything they'd known before. Um, so David is a bit of a peak. Um, the problem is after David uh, comes his son Solomon. Um, and from Solomon, he tends to go a little bit astray. And then we see a series of kings that just cycles into a decline, that just get worse and worse and worse. Um, Solomon was a bit of a womanizer, and he starts to collect uh, essentially, wives from across the world. Um, and he brings them into his house, and with them, they bring um, all of their idols and worship of other gods. And so, we see this then as a pattern for the kings that they essentially turn away to other gods or accommodate um, other gods. Um, eventually, God's had enough, um, and he raises up a nation next door called the Babylonians that come um, and crush uh, the Israelites, in, in a sense, and take them into captivity. Um, And the book that we were looking at, Nehemiah, is just as Nehemiah goes back to Jerusalem to rebuild the city. Um, But this afternoon, we're going to be looking in the midst of that spiral of decline. Um, So if if you uh, should come up on the screen, Um, but essentially in the chapter just before this, um, one king, it just lists a load of kings. Um, and in the chapter before this, we've looked at um, Ahab, and this is what it says in chapter 16 of Ahab. Ahab did more to provoke the Lord, the God of Israel, than all the other kings of Israel who were before him. So what had Ahab done that was so bad? Well, basically, a lot of the kings had just kind of assimilated all these other gods, and they turned aside and um, to worship other gods. Um, but it, in a sense, what what... Uh, Ahab had done is he'd almost he'd almost propagated it throughout Israel. So he'd set up temples, he'd set up um, places of worship, altars, um, and statues, and all sorts of things. He'd married he himself had married a foreign woman, and she had brought her gods with her, um, who just added to uh, his deviation from the truth. And it's easy to look to look kind of in hindsight and say, well, objectively we can look at Ahab's situation and say. Well, he's, fat, he's, he's just chasing after idols, he's making statues. What, you know, what is he doing? Surely he should be worshipping God. Um, you know, I mean, in terms of what it actually meant for the people of Israel, it was pretty depraved. Um, a lot of it, there was a lot of um, sexual practices in their worship, and occasionally there was even child uh, sacrifice. Um, it was pretty dark sort of stuff. I and mean, we can kind of often think of, look at that and think it's, it's a fairly primitive approach. Um, I just want to unpack a little bit the idea of idolatry for us um, so that we can kind of get it in context and actually see it's not too dissimilar um, from where we're at today. Um, essentially, our lives consist of priorities. Um, those priorities can often change. So when big things happen, so if we uh, get a job or we get married, big events in life um, can just shift our priorities. And, and that's, that's fine. That's not, a, that's not a problem. It just means you have to compete. And part of being a Christian... Um, is maturing and learning to manage those priorities. Um, however, the thing is, God says that he is to be the, our ultimate priority. He is to supersede everything else. And essentially, what Ahab has done is he's taken, is he's taken other gods and foreign gods and he's, he's replaced worship <laughs> of God with worship of other gods. And so he's essentially moved God down the priority order and he's prioritized other things. And much in the same way, we can do that with other things. We can say, actually, I don't want to follow God in this. I'm going to prioritize my job. Or I'm going to prioritize my family. Or I'm going to prioritize my status or, or whatever it might be. And we can do exactly the same thing. And we can fall into idolatry just as Ahab did. The thing, the thing with Ahab was, because he was king, he didn't just lead himself into idolatry or necessarily even his family, but actually he led the entire nation into idolatry, um, which is, which is, and so, so, so therefore we see that he's therefore provoked the Lord more than any of the other kings, because he's led the entire nation um, into idolatry. Okay, so at this point we then pick up at chapter 17. Um, I'm, gonna, I'm just going to read out, the words should be behind me, um, or if you want to follow along in your Bibles. Um, essentially what I'm going to do is I'm going to read the whole of chapter 17, um, and then jump to the end of chapter 18, um, because if you like, these these two chapters uh, are good Okay, so chapter 17, verse 1. Now, Elijah the Tishbite of Tishba and Gilead said to Ahab, as the Lord the God of Israel lives before whom I stand. There shall be neither dew nor rain these years, except by my word. And the word of the Lord comes him, from him here and turn eastward and hide yourself by the brook of Cherith, which is east of the Jordan. You shall drink from the brook, and I have commanded the ravens to feed you there. So he went and did according to the word of the Lord. He went and lived by the brook Cherith, that is east of the Jordan. And the ravens brought him bread and meat in the morning and bread and meat in the evening. And he drank from the brook. And after a while, the brook dried up, because there was no rain in the land. Then the word of the Lord came to him, Arise, go to Zarephath, which belongs to Sidon, and dwell there. Behold, I have commanded a widow there to feed you. So he arose and went to Zarephath. And when he came to the gate of the city, behold, a widow was there gathering sticks. And he called to her and said, Bring me a little water in a vessel that I may drink. And as she was... he ate only a handful of flour in a jar and a little oil in a jug. And now I am gathering a couple of sticks that I may go in and prepare it for myself and my son, that we may eat it and die. And Elijah said to her, do not fear, go and do as you have said, but first make me a little cake of it and bring it to me. And afterward, make something for yourself and your son. For thus says the Lord, the God of Israel, the jar of flour shall not be spent and the jug of oil shall not be empty until the day that the Lord sends rain upon the earth. And she went and did as Elijah said, and she and he and her household ate for many days. The jar of flour was not spent, neither did the jug of oil become empty according to the word of the Lord that he spoke by Elijah. After this, the son of the woman, the mistress of the house became ill. And his illness was so severe that there was no breath left in him. And she said to Elijah, What have you against me, O man of God? You have come to me to bring my sin to remembrance and cause the death of my son. And, and he said to her, Give me your son. And he took him in, took from her arms and carried him up into the upper chamber where he lodged and laid him on his own bed. And he cried out to the Lord, O Lord my God, you have brought calamity even upon the widow with whom I sojourn." By killing her son. Then he stretched himself upon the child three times and cried to the Lord, O oh Lord my God, let this child's life come back into him again. And the Lord listened to the voice of Elijah, and the life of the child came into him again, and he revived. And Elijah took the child and brought him down to the, from the upper chamber into the house and delivered him to his mother. And Elijah said, See, your son lives. And the woman said to Elijah, Now I know you are a man of God, and that the word of the Lord is in your mouth. Ma- And the word of the Lord in your mouth is truth. And then we're going to jump to the end of uh, chapter 18, uh, verse 41. And Elijah said to Ahab, go up, eat and drink, for there is the sound of the rushing of... Therefore, we see that he therefore provoked the Lord more than any of the other kings, because he's led an entire nation um, into idolatry. Okay, so at this point, we then pick up at chapter 17. Um, I'm gonna. I'm just just gonna read out the words. Should be behind me, and um, or if you want to follow along in the Bibles. And um, essentially, what I'm gonna do is I'm gonna read the whole of chapter 17, um, and then jump to the end of chapter 18. Because um, if you like these these two chapters, uh, are broken. Okay, so chapter 17, that's one. Now Elijah the Tishbite of Tishba and Gilead said to Ahab, as the Lord. The God of Israel lives before whom I stand. There shall be neither dew nor rain these years, except by my word. And the word of the Lord Depart from here and turn eastward and hide yourself by the brook of Cherith, which is east of the Jordan. You shall drink from the brook, and I have commanded the ravens to feed you there. So he went and did according to the word of the Lord. He went and lived by the brook Cherith, that is east of the Jordan. And the ravens brought him bread and meat in the morning and bread and meat in the evening. And he drank from the brook. And after a while, the brook dried up, because there was no rain in the land. Then the word of the Lord came to him, Arise, go to Zarephath, which belongs to Sidon, and dwell there. Behold, I have commanded a widow there to feed you. So he arose and went to Zarephath. And when he came to the gate of the city, behold, a widow was there gathering sticks. And he called to her and said, Bring me a little water in a vessel, that I may drink. And as she was... he ate only a handful of flour in a jar and a little oil in a jug. And now I am gathering a couple of sticks that I may go in and prepare it for myself and my son, that we may eat it and die. And Elijah said to her, do not fear, go and do as you have said, but first make me a little cake of it and bring it to me. And afterward, make something for yourself and your son. For thus says the Lord, the God of Israel, the jar of flour shall not be spent and the jug of oil shall not be empty until the day that the Lord sends rain upon the earth. And she went and did as Elijah said, and she had a handful of flour in a jar and a little oil in a jug. And now I am gathering a couple of sticks that I may go in and prepare it for myself and my son, that we may eat it and die. And Elijah said to her, do not fear, go and do as you have said. But first, make me a little cake of it and bring it to me. And afterward, make something for yourself and your son. For thus says the Lord, the God of Israel, the jar of flour shall not be spent and the jug of oil shall not be empty until the day that the Lord sends rain upon the earth. And she went and did as Elijah said. And she and he and her household ate for many days. The jar of flour was not spent, neither did the jug of oil become empty according to the word of the Lord that he spoke by Elijah." After this, the son of the woman, the mistress of the house, became ill. And his illness was so severe that there was no breath left in him. And she said to Elijah, What have you against me, O man of God? You have come to me to bring my sin to remembrance and cause the death of my son? And, and he said to her, Give me your son. And he took, him in, took from her arms and carried him up into the upper chamber where he lodged and laid him on his own bed. And he cried out to the Lord, O Lord my God, you have brought calamity even upon the widow with whom I sojourn, by killing her son. Then he stretched himself upon the child three times and cried to the Lord, O Lord my God, let this child's life come back into him again. And the Lord listened to the voice of Elijah, and the life of the child came into him again, and he revived. And Elijah took the child and brought him down from the upper chamber into the house and delivered him to his mother. And Elijah said, See, your son lives. And the woman said to Elijah, "Now I know you are a man of God, and that the word of the Lord is in your mouth, ma- and the word of the Lord in your mouth is truth." And then we're going to jump to the end of uh, chapter 18, verse 41. And Elijah said to Ahab, "Go up, eat and drink, for there is the sound of the rushing of rain." So Ahab went up to eat and drink, and Elijah went up to the top of Mount Carmel, and he bowed himself down on the earth and put his face between his knees. And he said to his servant, go up now, look toward the sea. And he went up and looked and said, there's nothing. And he said, go again, seven times. And at the seventh time he said, behold, a little cloud like a man's hand is rising from the sea. And he said, go up, say to Ahab, prepare your chariot and go down, lest the rain stop you. And in a little while the heavens grew black with clouds and wind, and there was a great rain. And Ahab rode and went to Jezreel. And the hand of the Lord was on Elijah, and he gathered up his garment and ran before Ahab to the entrance of Jezreel. Done it. What happens here is that in the midst of this spiral of decline of kings, we get this guy, Elijah, who seems to arrive on the scene. Now, Elijah is a prophet, um, and so he stands on behalf of God. Um, He stands in front of men on behalf of God, and he speaks um, the word of God. Um, And as he does that, he does that right back in verse 1. He says to Ahab... um, um, that, he's gonna sh- that God's going to shut up the heavens. He essentially pronounces judgment on Ahab. He says, because of the way you've lived your life, um, God's going to shut up the heavens and there's going to be no more rain until I say so. Um, and so from that point then, uh, so from verse 1 in chapter 17, under God's direction, Elijah then goes to a brook for water and is fed by ravens. Um, he then it gets moved on to Zarephath where he uh, resides with a widow who looks after him. Um, and then Eventually, that takes us up to the end of chapter 17 in the beginning of chapter 18 he goes back to confront ahab um, and we'll look at that in more detail next week um, as we see what happens uh, in chapter 18 um, but essentially we then pick it back up in verse 41 um, as elijah goes back up to the mountain to pray for rain um, and so, essentially, we have two, two chapters that are bookended with Elijah saying that it's not going to rain at the beginning of chapter 17 and then Elijah saying that it will rain and then praying for rain um, at the end of chapter 18. The period in between is about three and a half years. So, Essentially, what we can see is uh, so, as we've been looking through the book of Nehemiah as a church for the last few months, a part of that series has been looking um, at the promises. Um, so, we've looked at prof- prophetic promises that God's spoken to us things about us being an unlikely army, um, about us being a house for the needy, uh, an Antioch base that sends people uh, to church plant and on mission, um, a resourcing church, um, and many other things that God said. Um, you can download the series if you want to hear more about it and, and follow where we're going as a church um, but very often living with promises like that um, where god has spoken but they haven't quite been realized you can often find yourself um, starting to question you know like, like where, where's this all going why you know doubts can creep in you can start to lose faith if you don't see certain things happening um, and and much like elijah uh who essentially has spoken and said that there's not going to be no rain Um, on on the land um, until I say so. And then he essentially waits for three and a half years until the right time when he says, okay, now there's going to be rain. And then he goes and prays for rain. Um, and so what we're going to do is we're going to break this down into three sections so we're going to break it down um, into the word so the word that he gives to ahab we're then going to look at the waiting so this three and a half year period in between um, and then finally we'll get to the watering uh, where the waters uh, rains. So you love the three w's i know you do um, So first of all, let's look at the word that he gives. So um, now Elijah the Tishbite, in verse 1, of Tishba and Gilead said to Ahab, As the Lord, the God of Israel, lives before whom I stand, there shall be neither dew nor rain these years except by my word. It would then be three and a half years before Elijah spoke that rain was coming. Um, But there's nothing instant about it. So although he delivers this word, there's no kind of, Ahab doesn't suddenly fall, fall down and repent. Um, there's, nothing, there's nothing seemingly that happens other than Elijah says it's not going to rain, and it doesn't rain. And then three and a half years later, um, it rains. But it, there's no immediate kind of impact. It's not, not as if Ahab just kind of fell on the floor and repented um, of his sin. Um, and also, it's not, it's not a casual statement that he's just made. If you think about it, if, if, if somebody was to say it's not going to rain for three and a half years, that would take us up to summer 2016, which is a long time to go without, well, I mean, especially in England, it's a long time to go without rain. But it, it's a significant period of time um, to say that it's not going to rain. Um, but also, Elijah's gone to a king to say this. He's gone to a king and he said, um, it's, um, basically, he said, God's going to discipline you um, and actually, he's going to use me to do it because it's going to be by when I, when I say, when, when God tells me now's the time, it's going to be at my command, essentially. Um, and that's a hard message to give. Um, imagine trying to go to your boss and saying, the directors of the, of the company have decided that you need to be disciplined and they told me that I'm the one to do it. And you're trying to tell that to your boss. It's essentially the same thing. The king has the authority to kill him, basically. Um, he could say, okay, well, enough's enough. Like... Oh, off with your head, whatever they would have said—the um, equivalent—they they could have quite easily had him killed. Um, but Elijah wasn't intimidated, um, and largely because he was he was under authority of God. He wasn't living under the authority of. Um, ahab he was living under the authority of god and so god had said and so god supersedes ahab and so he obeys god rather than ahab and so he's not intimidated Um, and so we see that first of all there's no immediate response that comes about from giving this word Um, and secondly he's not uh intimidated by ahab um you see when god speaks to to you and to us as a church the results aren't always instant are they especially when somebody when God says something, you can often kind of be waiting for a significant period of time before something actually happens. Um, there might be foretastes. Uh, so in this case, the, the, the heavens were shut up, um, and then you've got three and a half years before you wait for the rain. Um, in, this, in the same way, kind of, we can often uh, feel like we're waiting. Um, so for instance, one promise that God's spoken over us is, is that we would be known as a church for our love and miracles. And yes, we see answers to prayer all the time and we see, we see miracles happen um, in terms of if you're ever at our prayer meetings, I'm always surprised by the amount of, I know I shouldn't be, but I am always surprised by the amount of testimonies that come back and just say, well, last week we prayed for this and God did something. And last week we prayed for this and God did something. Um, but I believe that as a church, there's more in store for us. Um, we, we've started to see more and more healings um, but 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 I still believe there's so much more for us as a church. There's so much for, more for us to be stepping out in and believing God for. Um, and secondly, we can't be intimidated by the problems. So Elijah wasn't intimidated by his problem. Essentially, Ahab he wasn't intimidated by how difficult the situation looked or how hard it would have been to deliver something like that. Um, and so we can't be intimidated by um, our problems. We can't live uh, essentially with limitations. Um, I'm not saying we should just ignore those things um, because I think they're relevant, um, but we shouldn't be governed and paralysed by them. I think to ignore them wouldn't, wouldn't be true, wouldn't be living with integrity. Um, but at the same time, we shouldn't be controlled and dictated um, in our lives by them. Um, and sometimes you just have to confront your fears. Sometimes you just have to face up to it and just say, okay, I'm going I'm to do this, I'm going to step out and believe, and believe God and believe that God is over this situation um when i was uh 14 uh, it's, it's kind of a side story but it illustrates the point quite well um, when i was 14 a friend and i came up to london um to watch a football match in watford um and on the way home we stopped at victoria station uh to get a mcdonald's uh just before we caught the train um basically to cut a long story short we um we basically got uh we nearly got mugged by four teenagers who were all bigger than us um and we we ended up Running all over South London on the trains, trying to get away from um, them, which we successfully did in the end. Um, but because I wasn't kind of used to London, and I didn't used to come up to London much, and well, in particular Victoria, kind of the, the mental image I then had of Victoria Station was was essentially it was like the crime capital of London, like yeah. all the crime happened at Victoria Station, um, and so I kind of I, and kind of it was probably it was a few years. Um, before kind of that, that started to shift in my mentality but largely because an incident happened when I, when I was 14 and even when I was coming back from university I was often scared to go through Victoria just because of what had happened so many years previously um, and eventually w- what happened was on my way back from uni if I had time I would often just stop at Victoria get off at Victoria and just walk around the station and what I was doing was I was confronting my fear and I was confronting exactly the problem that had been before me. Now, you might say it's a small thing, but the reality was I was 14. It was quite an intimidating experience. Um, I'm from the countryside. Um, but, but still, it was, but it, but it, was a, it was an intimidating thing. And so to actually go to Victoria, I was making a statement that actually I'm not going to give in to my fear, but I'm actually going to confront it. Um, and you'll be pleased to know I can wander around Victoria freely, um, which is great. Um, but... <laughs> But Yeah, it's great. But the reality is like, you, like sometimes when things look, when some things are frightening or, or, or they fill you with fear, you've just got to step out and confront it. You've just got to believe God that he's over that situation, that he has authority over, that you're living in submission to him. Um, I know my illustration of Victoria is a little, bit, it's, it's a little bit silly, but I wonder if there's fears that govern you. I wonder if there's fears that govern the way you live your life. I wonder if there's certain things that you're, you're bound by. Maybe it's about um, not having enough money. Um, maybe it's about not getting that promotion um, or, not, or not getting into the right career or the right job. Um, I, I just want to really encourage you to just step out and confront it. It may even be that the first step in confronting that fear is just confessing it to a friend and just saying, hey, can you help me with this? Can you pray with me about this? Because it's starting to, it's starting to, it's starting to dictate the way I go to work. It's starting to dictate um, other things in my life, and stuff's starting to move around it. Um, okay, so moving on, the waiting. So three and a half years is a long time. Um, there's a lot you can do in three and a half years, and Elijah does a lot. He essentially wanders around, um, eating uh, from the ravens uh, and then from the widow. Um, and uh, basically, we, we we often forget that in this period of waiting, in this three and a half years, I, um Elijah's delivered this word to Ahab, but then Elijah still has to live in the drought. So it's almost as if, like, uh, Elijah delivers this word to Ahab, but then he still has to kind of, he's the one that has to then kind of go to the brook. The brook dries up, so he moves to the widow. And we often don't realise just actually how difficult it would have been um, to have delivered something like that and then live with the consequences of a word like that. And often, when God speaks, there are significant consequences. And there is often difficulty that comes um, and the, the reality is it's not always just, it's not always just going to, everything's just going to fit into place as soon as the word of the Lord comes. Actually, when the word of God comes, um, actually everything else then has to fit according to his plan rather than according to your plan. And, and that's, that's, quite a, that's quite a shift in mentality to get your head around. Um, but we notice two things about this uh, period of waiting. One um, is that God looks after him. God is the one that directs his steps. So God is the one that says, go east um, to the brook Kuchareth. Um, And then he's the one that says, get up and go to the widow. Um, and so he does. And we see, we see Elijah just getting up and just following him wherever God takes him. Um, and secondly, we notice that everything doesn't go smoothly for Elijah. Um, he essentially has to walk around. Um, and eventually the, the widow's son um, still dies, even though she says... You know, I'm going to make a last supper so that we can then die in peace. Um, But Elijah says, "No, you won't won't die if you give me some bread; it'll last for um, until the rain comes." Um, And then the woman's son still dies. Um, Just imagine if you were Elijah, you've just tried to comfort this woman, saying, "Well, no, you're going to have enough food um, and things to last throughout the drought." And then her son dies anyway. Um, And then, and then, yeah, and then God brings him back from the dead, um, which is fantastic. Um, Praise God. Um, But essentially the widow can get frustrated at Elijah and kind of even in the midst of the drought period there's this difficulty of twists and turns. And very often as uh, some of us wait for promises that God's spoken over us it can be hard to remain faithful knowing that God's going to provide all that we need um, but he might not do it in the way that we anticipate. Um, Sometimes circumstances can make it hard to believe God for the fulfillment of certain promises. You see, when you hear that God, for instance, has called us to be a resourcing church, a church that gives, a, res- a church that, that blesses, um, that, that looks to just give and, and just resource so many other ministries and wider things outside of uh, Revelation Church, and then you look at our financial journey for the last 18 months, you think, what is all that about? How are we going to be able to bless? How are we going to be able to give? I, you know, that's the reality of, of what we're living with. Um, but I think significantly, I think God's, God's taught us one thing in that period. Um, and, and that is that actually to be wise with what he's given us, to be to be disciplined with what he's given us. Because when that what, what happens is when we are then in a place of being able to give, we can give all the more abundantly. We can give all the more generously, all the more freely. Um, and actually, when that time comes for us to be that resourcing church, we can do it with a glad and generous heart and just do it abundantly. Um, and so let 's move on to the watering, so this is the third section that Elijah retreats to the top of Mount Carmel and um, to pray i 'm um, just going uh, to reread verses forty one to forty six um, and Elijah said to Ahab, "Go up, eat and drink, for there is a sound of the rushing of rain. So Ahab went up to eat and to drink, and Elijah went up to the top of Mount Carmel and he bowed himself on the earth and put his face between his knees, and he said to his servant. Go up now, look toward the sea. And he went up and looked and said, There is nothing. And he said, go up seven times. And at the seventh time, he said, behold, a little cloud like a man's hand is rising from the sea. And he said, go up, say to Ahab, prepare your chariot and go down, lest the rain stop you. And in a little while, the heavens grew black with clouds and wind, and there was a great rain. And Ahab rode and went to Jezreel. And the hand of the Lord was on Elijah, and he gathered up his garment and ran before Ahab to the entrance of Jezreel. So again, just two quick things that I want to pull out um, of this section. Um, one is that Elijah seems to do it all in the wrong order, if you notice. Um, Elijah, Elijah says to Ahab, go up, eat and drink, for there is a sound of rushing rain. The next thing Elijah does is go and pray for rain. It, it, it's almost as if Elijah said it, but it hasn't actually yet been realised. It's almost as if he's in this, this period of limbo. Um, and so, he's, so, so, so basically he he's, he does that. And then secondly... Um, he says to his servant, um, go and tell Ahab to gather his chariot and then go um, so that he doesn't get caught in the rain. And the reality is there's only a cloud that's, that's probably about, well, the size of a man's hand, um, which is tiny if you think about it, a high, whole blue sky and you've got a cloud as small as them. It's hardly a thunderstorm. Um, and yet, you know, we see that the heavens grew black with clouds and wind and there was a great rain. Um, and so kind of, it's almost as if Elijah is doing things in the wrong order um, And it seems like Elijah takes action before he's even prayed. Um, So he must be like really confident in in what's going to happen. And I think it's a perfect example of of his faith in action. You see, very often we can have a faith that leads us to kind of passivity um, rather than a faith that leads to action. Um, sometimes we can use faith as a bit of an excuse to say, well, I, I don't need to pray about this situation because I'm in faith that God's going to provide. Or I don't need to fast or sacrifice about that because, you know, I, I believe that God will come through and provide all that I need. And the reality is it's not really faith. It, it's more arrogance than anything because what you're saying is, well, my, my belief means that I don't have to pray. Um, and, and actually, I think that's kind of completely the wrong way around. Um, faith for Elijah meant action. It meant doing something. Um, he demonstrated by his faith by what he said and did. He believed that God had said it would rain at his word in, right back in the beginning of chapter 17. And so he said it. Um, and really, that's faith. That's faith, that believing that when you say something and then you go and pray, it's going to happen. Um, and so, uh, second of all, um, once he's spoken out of faith, Elijah then labored in prayer for the rain basically held god to his word um, I sometimes imagine elijah might have said something like this god you said that at my command the rains would come and i've done that so now you've got to uphold your end of the bargain um, and, I, and i think it demonstrates such a faith i think kind of one exciting opportunity to say okay we're like we're going for this um, god just god just just be with us um, God said uh, right back in the beginning of chapter 17, three and a half years earlier, that at your word, that it's going to rain. A- and kind of what he does, essentially what he does is he holds God to his word and says, look, God, you said that I could shut up the heavens and I could open the heavens. Um, now you've got to bring the rain. Um, and so seven times, um, we see his sends his servant back to look for the cloud. Um, see, he persevered in prayer. I'd probably have given up after three or four times and thought, well, maybe that wasn 't from god i'll you know we'll try and explain it to Ahab some other way, um, but the reality is he sends him back because he's so he 's so convinced that that's what God's, that 's god 's plan and it 's god 's timing to send the rain um, um, I wonder what the promises are that God has spoken over your life and the life of the church um, and how and how we together are taking stands and praying for them to come into fruition um, God has spoken to us. Um, significantly, about certain things, and um, one of those things um, is about giving us keys into communities, um, keys in the forms of people, keys in the forms of um, groups and I, and that 's part of the reason we have gospel communities in the church and um, gospel communities are essentially mission groups, mission groups in the church that are all gathered around a particular uh, mission field that they 're reaching and Each one of those are keys into communities. And so what we've done is we've we've set up gospel communities, but they're completely backed up with prayer. Without prayer, it, it's, it's kind of a bit of a waste of time. We can just have all these great ideas, but without the backing of prayer, um, it can kind of just, it doesn't really fit. Um, and so even, so all of these gospel communities, people like the point of gospel communities is to gather to pray for the mission field that they're reaching. Um, we pray as a church every Tuesday regularly um, for all, everything that God's called us to. Um, as elders, about a third of our meeting is taken up praying Because we just recognize that we can come up with the best plans in the world. But unless it's God's plans, it's a waste of time. And as as a church, at the end of January, um, we're going to be having a week of prayer. Um, We're going to be really putting some stakes in the ground and just going for some stuff in God. um, And the details are all being worked out at the moment. But get it in your diaries because it's such a priority I want to say it, it. It's a real priority. Prayer is such a priority for us, and we must be engaged in prayer, um, and we must be we must be um, praying praying for all that God's called us to. Um, so, like Elijah, who called on God to act in faith, everything was was on the line. He didn't have. He he basically left no room for error. Really, if if it didn't happen, even God's faithfulness was going to be called into question. And, and I think to some extent, that's, that's kind of the faith. That I think it quite excites God, that actually kind of, he, he, he's kind of like he is our everything. He is our supply. He is our provider. He is the one that resources everything. And I think actually when we come to that point of saying, actually, God, if this, if this goes belly up, then, you, you know, that, that's it. That's like it's your name that's at stake. You know, then I think that there, 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 there's, like, it's not like we're trying to dupe God into something. But at the end of the day, like, it, it, he, I think he delights to actually engage with us on that and dialogue with us and provide for us. And it might not happen as we want it to. In fact, it probably won't. But it, it's, it's a journey in faith nonetheless. Um, and so, last of all, I just want to touch briefly. What sort of a man was Elijah? We can be tempted to think that Elijah was um, somehow special and we can't really do all the things that Elijah did. We don't really have his faith. Um, But listen to what it says in James 5 um, about Elijah. Uh, It says in verse 16, The prayer of a righteous person... It should come up behind me. The prayer of a righteous person has great power as as it is working. Elijah was a man with a nature like ours, and he prayed fervently that it might not rain and for three years and six months it did not rain on the earth. then he prayed again and heaven gave rain, and the earth bore its fruit. you see Elijah was a righteous person um, his, and so his prayers had great power now, I just want to touch briefly, what does this word righteous mean? Well, primarily it's a legal term, and um, to meet right standing. In this context, it means primarily in right standing with God. That's the context here. Um, Elijah lived uh, in what we call the Old Testament. Um, it was a period of time before Jesus, um, and God had given his people the law, as we heard about earlier, um, to live by. And if they kept the law, then they would be righteous. They would be declared to be righteous. The problem was that nobody could keep the law, um, which meant actually they, they all became lawbreakers. And as soon as you've broken one law, then essentially it kind of, you are no longer righteous. Um, and so we call this lawbreaking sin, um, and the punishment of this is death, um, ultimately. God, however, had a plan um, and sent Jesus to, to make a substitution on our behalf. You see, Jesus didn't break the rules. He was a perfect man. He lived a perfect life, and therefore, he was righteous. Um, in that moment, uh, in that moment, Jesus took on the sin that we that we deserved, uh, the death that should have been ours, the punishment that should have been ours, and we received his righteousness. And so, how do we access this righteousness? Well, by admitting that we're a lawbreaker, by saying I can't, I can't do it all myself. Um, I've you know, and turning away from that and putting our trust and our hope in Jesus' death on the cross. Um, so what does it mean uh, for us if we've surrendered our life to Jesus and we're now determined to follow him, we are now righteous? Which means this verse in uh, James 5, the prayer of a righteous person has great power as it is working. So for those of us that have put our faith in Jesus, we are now considered righteous and our prayer has great power as, as it is working. And he even goes on in James to say, Elijah was a man with a nature like ours. He was he was just like us. He was a man that was just like, he knew our frailty, he knew our problems, he knew our temptations, um, he knew all of it. Um, I'd like to get the band up um, at this point. I'm going to, um, there's, I think there's three things that I think God wants to uh, particularly say to us uh, of the back of this um, I think in particular uh, just as I was preparing I felt uh, in particular about the whole fear thing I felt God really wanted to impress that um, on some people that some of us really need to deal with this fear thing we need to confront um, our fears um, and it may be that even as I was just sharing my story of Victoria Station something just nudged in your heart and you just thought you know what I know what it is I know I know what governs me I know what fear mot- I know what puts me out of sync um, and it may be that your first step to dealing with that and confronting that is just turning to somebody turning to a close friend and just um, saying something like hey can you can you pray with me because i'm really scared of xyz fill in the blank um, and just take making that step making that conscious step to step out and believe that god can um, and believe that god can uh, provide in that situation um, secondly i think some of you uh, potentially, have shelved some of the promises that God's spoken over you. Um, I've spoken uh, about promises broader within the church, um, but but I feel like there there may be some personal promises that God's spoken over individuals. And it's almost like because you've because you've got tired of praying for them, because you got tired of seeking for them, or because you didn't see them happen as you thought they would, you've kind of shelved things and just kind of put it on the back burner, and you won't really. Uh, approach i just feel god would say get them get them out again um, and just revisit some of those things that he's laid on your heart uh, revisit some of those things that he's promised over you um, and thirdly um, i want to I, I just want to say if you're not a believer here um, or you don't know jesus then that's that's your priority your priority this afternoon is to come to know him is to put your faith and your trust in him